KBUT, the butt, New Las Vegas Radio. Get ready to feel something. You're listening to Dr. Whoever. Boom. Universal Time, 5 hours, 16 minutes, 20 seconds. U.S. Naval Observatory Master Clock at the Tome, Eastern Standard Time, 0 hours, 16 minutes, 30 seconds. Universal Time, 5 hours, 16 minutes, 35 seconds. U.S. Naval Observatory Master Clock. Where are the KBUT, the Butt, New Las Vegas Radio. This is the Doctor Who Ever Project. Stand by. Many kinds. Where can we start? We like them dumb and we like them smart. I like the ones with the pretty eyes. Well, I like all kinds of guys. Stop. What happened? How about the ones we especially like? Which ones? You know the ones It is February 15th, 2022. This is the Doctor Whoever Project. We did a really cool interview this morning with Stan Height. He's running for sheriff here in Las Vegas. We're going to talk about the Super Bowl, Valentine's Day, and somebody had a birthday. Grab your emotional support animal and get ready for a dose of reality. You're stuck on KBUT, the butt. This is Doctor Whoever. Hey... Hello, Mr. Jesse. How are you over there, Mr. Birthday Boy? How's it going, Dr. Weber? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. How does it feel to be another year older, another year wiser, living uh, living in Las Vegas? Never thought you'd end up here, right? I mean, I've never thought I'd be in Vegas, but I couldn't imagine myself anywhere else after being here. Um, you think of a birthday and like, where, where other place would you rather be than Las Vegas to celebrate your birthday, so... Couldn't be better. Couldn't be happier. It was good. I enjoyed it. We had the Super Bowl as well over this past, uh, I guess, weekend because it was Sunday. We had, we went to a little Super Bowl party. I got a little too drunk. I hadn't had that much beer in a while. <laughs> yeah, I, had I forgot a, I had what a, a nine percent beer could do to a man. I had a little trifecta. <laughs> I had like the birthday on the twelfth, and then I had uh, we had the Super Bowl on Sunday, then Valentine's Day on the fourteenth. So it was a little trifecta. It was it was a fun little weekend. It was. I really enjoyed it. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm glad to be getting back out, doing stuff again, seeing some people's faces. I love it. The other half of their face, that is. You never know what it's going to look like, though. I saw that the one guy half. at the gym, and it looked like, I swear this guy at the gym, he looks like a Oompa Loompa now that I've seen the bottom half of his face. <laughs> but um, I don't know. It's great. I'm loving it. I'm loving it. Loving it. It's wonderful. 
no complaints. I'm not even going to talk about that C thing anymore. You know, that C thing doesn't exist in my world anymore. It's the other C word that we just don't talk about now. Yeah, well, I think the last time, the last show we did, we didn't discuss, you know, that we do we don't have the mass minute no mass nope nope which i mean which which wasn't i think it was imperative to to getting us to where we're at now but you know it's it's reached a course where you know people are vaccinated i think we're about three months behind of my personal opinion i just want to i just want to commend every person in nevada that's you know stuck at hindsight is 2020 done, done everything that they needed to do to get us where we are today and i just want you know businesses and uh, tourists to continue to frequent Vegas and support Vegas and get people back to doing great things in the state and you know com- com- keep supporting your small businesses and support those mom and uh, pop businesses where you live. Yes! Do it. Come back out. Shop. Gamble. Spend that money. Go to the swimming pools. It is open and you ain't got to wear that mask no more, people. <laughs> Alright, well, um, let's uh, what else we got? Um, somebody that you know, we, we talked about at the very be, uh, beginning, kind of like last week about Whoopi. Um, you know, Whoopi's back and Whoopi made a little whoopsie and um, I, I enjoy Whoopi and everybody makes mistakes every once in a while. Everybody puts their foot in their mouth and Whoopi did it, um, but she came back and she owned it. I want to play a little clip of what she said on Monday. Let's see what we got if I can play this right here from the View Missed podcast. you all too. I got to tell you, there's something kind of marvelous about being on a show like this because we are the View, and this is what we do. And sometimes we don't do it as elegantly as we could. Okay. And sometimes, well, yeah, you know, <laughs> but it's five minutes to get in important information about topics, yeah. Yeah. and that's what we try to do every day. And I, I, I want to thank everybody who reached out while I was away. And I'm telling you, people reached out from places that made me go, wait, wait, what? And I'm not saying we're the View here, but what I'm saying is that people are just trying to say their opinion sometimes and try to get their point across in a broad way to where people can understand and um i think it's i think it's one of those things that we need to make sure we can listen to everybody and all the people involved and that's why i decided i would i would um, interview um this guy that's running for sheriff here i think he is a republican but you know he had some great points um and i'd like to play the interview for you and then we can also keep in mind that the, the sheriff position is a Nonpartisan. Nonpartisan, yeah. And I think a lot of things are, but that's what I mean. Um, I think, you know, a few people, I even told him in the interview, uh, a few people said, oh, why you, you know, you know, boo, why you, why are you interviewing him? Why do you want to interview him? It's, well, why not? He, he could, um, it could be him and um, Gilbert. Gilbert could be the governor and um, Height could be the sheriff. It's, well, it's, it's, like a, very, carried away it's possibilities, people. <laughs> I mean, you know, so uh, uh, why not understand them from, from actual conversation, not from a commercial that I saw where they are trying to be a little bit of a shock jock and get people to turn their head. It got me to turn my head and notice this commercial. I, mean, I think I think um, I, I pointed out to you when we were at LVAC and I saw you know Stan's you know commercial throughout LVAC and I thought it was well done and you know towards the end it was like enjoy the rest of your workout. I was like, well, that's a, it's an effective you know commercial right there. Um, so. And I had the opportunity to to talk from for a second at one of uh, the events going on in the community, and seemed like a really nice guy. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to hearing your interview. I apologize for not being able to 
to be a part of that in this morning, but I was Well, no, so I think busy. we covered it pretty well, and I like kind of how we're doing this. This is a good way to do it. If we get someone to do an interview, I don't want to miss it just because one of us can't be there, but we can still, um, you know, listen to it together. And I did take a break, and at that point, we can stop, have a little intermission, intermission, you know, and then we can continue on and then discuss from there. Sound good? Sounds great. All right, let's take a little quick break, and we'll be right back with that interview with Stan Height running for Sheriff of Las Vegas. KBUT, the butt, new Las Vegas radio. Get ready to feel something. You're listening to Dr. Whoever. All right. All right. Let's just get that. Let's just go into it. How about that? You want to? Sounds good. All right. Uh, This was from nine o'clock this morning. Um, he, He called in on the phone line, so it's not the best quality in the world, but I think it sounds pretty good. All right. Here we go. Here's my interview with Stan Height. All right, Stan, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? Great, Brian. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thank you so much for jumping on. on. I know I saw you at the parade. Um, talk to you about the um, commercial you have running at LVAC. I think that's such a great marketing tactic. Um, well, thanks. Everything that you're discussing in the commercial itself is uh, it's, it's a perfect audience for, uh, for that and for that content. Um, it's definitely a, a group of like-minded people that all kind of feel the same way, and I think your commercial really resonated with people. And um, I just want to tell you that when I saw you myself, because I have a marketing background, and I think that by doing something a little bit creative made, made you stand out, especially to someone like me that didn't really know all the, the pieces and who's all running. Um, can you give me a little, just a little bit of a brief rundown of the sheriff department for um, Las Vegas Metro? And it since it's... I think some cities have maybe like police and then sheriff, but it seems like here it's just kind of like metro and it's run by the sheriff. Um, how exactly does that work? Absolutely. Uh, basically, back in 1974, we had a Las Vegas City Police Department and we had a Las Vegas Sheriff's Department. Well, they merged and became one. So the elected uh, sheriff became the number one police officer for both the city and the county. And then the chief of police became the, what they call the undersheriff. And he was second in command of the department. And then they just merged their two departments into one, um, like a captain of one department uh, merged in along with the captain of the sheriff's department. So they just continued on down the line until everybody had one uniform, one patrol car, one common uh, mission statement, which is basically to serve and protect the community. All right. That happened in 1994, yeah. That so makes sense. Clark County, Clark County is basically 8,500 square miles. It's got Right now it's got 2.3 million people. And the Las Vegas Metropolitan Police Department is the official police department of the sheriff and city of uh, Las Vegas. and encompasses Mesquite, uh, Boulder City, uh, North Las Vegas, Henderson, um, all these uh, in Las Vegas. So that's basically uh, the area that the sheriff is responsible for. Gotcha. That that makes so much better sense now because the cars all look the same. So it kind of made me wonder. um, I actually had a... a, a, the first week I moved here, I had to call the police because I witnessed some girl pouring Clorox into, I found out later, her ex-boyfriend's car, gas tank, like three in the morning when I was walking my dog. 
<laughs> so um, they came out. They were in their like the, the brown pants and the brown shirts. And I was like, is this what they wear here for the police? Because I was just kind of – it was the first time I experienced the police. And then that's kind of what made me wonder. All right, that's great. We actually have two uniforms. Uh, the, the tans are for the summer, and then we have a dark green uh, long sleeve for the winter. Gotcha. Okay. Maybe that's, again, threw it off while I was thinking it was two different divisions. All right. Yeah. Now yeah. – one thing that I found very interesting when I was just kind of going through your LinkedIn, it said that you worked with the Pawn Stars guys. My dad, um, my dad loves Pawn Stars. How was that experience for you doing that? What was that like? I enjoyed it. It was definitely a different thing for me. Uh, I was his personal uh, assistant. I, you know, I, I was basically armed, uh, carried concealed, and I made his travel arrangements. I handled his personal affairs. It was a <clears throat> definitely a different experience. I. I really liked it. Uh, Rick Harrison uh, is a wonderful guy, and uh, he's, you know, it was, it was something I had never done before. I did it for a while, and then uh, basically he no longer had any need for my services. He moved on. Yeah, it's, but, uh, it's always good I to looked, try I something out, meet, meet some new yeah. people, learn a new skill set. I, I think we're, um, I think we're learning with this pandemic that doing the same thing forever gets people a little burned out. It's, uh, it's good to change yeah. it up every now and then. Yeah, definitely. And also saw that you were a flight attendant for Spirit at one point, which are basically, um, you know, they're the somebody calls a They're the uh, the cops of the sky. So <laughs> I'm sure that was an interesting experience, even back in that day. Um, not to mention what's going on now with the police, um, the police in the sky, basically having to um, mask people and implement all those kind of silly rules that people see as silly and and that kind of atmosphere where they bought a ticket and they feel very entitled you know what i mean i guess you've researched me pretty good yeah basically <laughs> uh that was a bucket list thing i wanted to work for an airline nice <laughs> and uh it was flying in the, flying in the sky i always loved to fly i do love to fly and uh so they hired me and i became a flight attendant and got to travel all over the united states but being a you know a married man and uh you know further along in my my maturity it was it was good it, it, i think that's a job for a younger person definitely that, you know wants to see the world for me i was in a hotel room a lot alone and you know i did it for a year i, I checked it off my bucket list but yeah I, I i really enjoyed that as well it's good travel just i mean for for a point in time i had a job where i had to travel a lot and it is fun but then it does get old after a while you kind of just want to move on yeah <laughs> yeah absolutely well, getting back into a little bit more of the uh, the police and the things for specifically here in Las Vegas. Um, like I said, I moved here from San Diego. It's another interesting city, um, very tourist-driven. Um, and with that comes interesting aspects and hurdles as well. Um, like Comic-Con every year in San Diego, there's people walking around with masks and fake machine guns that don't and crazy things on and you know look, looking like they're ninjas or i don't know superheroes but the police found interesting ways to kind of manage it they do photo shoots they'll fake arrest people and they brought out the old school paddy wagon but i guess my question for you would be um given vegas is another interesting place where you kind of have to placate to the tourists and you can't make people too unhappy in a place called sin city um how do you navigate that where you keep people safe but you also let people express themselves and have fun in um you know an adult disneyland basically well it's a thin line um you have to uphold the laws and you have to protect your community so you can't just let the you can't let things go you know completely 
unmanaged. But um, we do have security, uh, a large force, which uh, assists the police department. And that's the yellow are, shirt guys, right, with the, with the bicycles? Is that, so that's part of the police department? That is part of the police department. We call that the bike uh, bike squad. They ride around on bikes. It, it gets them closer to the community. Gotcha. It gets them to oh yeah, it makes sense. Relate yeah. to the uh, they relate to the tourists. They relate to the in San Diego. Uh, they have the same kind of thing. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah, so they relate with the business owners. They relate with the tourists, and uh, they're just hands up, more hands on than someone uh, isolated in a patrol car. The patrol cars are necessary too because it's a, a it's eighty. Like I said, uh, Clark County is eighty five hundred square miles. And you have to get around. You have to get, you know, sometimes your area covers 20, 30 miles. And you have to be able to get to those areas. Thanks. I mean, it is a fine line. Um, I do understand the the need to kind of keep people secure, but also, you know, don't, not go too far to keep people from wanting to come here to have fun because of something. Um, are you familiar? I'm sure you're familiar with the UNLV area as being here for a long time. That's where actually I moved to when I first came to Vegas. I'm up in Aliante now, but um, moved to a okay. condo down in that area. It was um, very interesting area. We'll say that. I wouldn't call it a bad area, but not a good area. Um, and, uh, at, w- at one time, there was some kind of a police activity going on where uh, like a percussion grenade even had to be set off in the condo building and there was a SWAT tank and all this stuff going on. And it just seemed, um, I don't know, it was like a scene out of a movie. I'd never seen anything like it before. Um, but it made me and some of the other people wonder what, what brings out in Vegas, it seems like this need for, um, a massive presence of tanks and things like that. Is it, is it the fact that they have such a large police department that they have these things that they're disposable, so you might as well use them? Or is it just the the hesitancy hesitancy to not do things because of, you know, like the shooting that happened or because of what a high-profile Vegas has? Does that have anything to do with the way you respond because it's in such of a global, global view of, you know, because anybody worldwide finds out stuff that happens here in Vegas if it's something large enough? Well, you, you covered a lot of a lot of stuff there. Uh, basically, that UNLV area, um, it is a little different than other areas in that it's a little more congested, it's a little more transient, mm-hmm. and because of that, you're going to have a specific set of circumstances and challenges for that particular area. It's still filled with uh, uh, great citizens that need protection oh, and, yeah, and sure. rely, keep them safe. When it, when an incident goes down, such as uh, maybe a barricaded subject. Uh, some kind of a hostage situation, maybe. Um, we we have tools available to us. I don't know about tanks. Uh, we don't. I don't think we have any tanks, but we do it was have like a SWAT. Come some kind of a SWAT. Um, we have transport vehicles. Yeah, I think it was something have, like that. We have uh, what we call command centers, where where the command will will set up if it's a particularly um, dangerous or you know uh, involved type situation. We'll have a command center, and. We, it allows us to communicate and with other jurisdictions, allows us to um, organize and plan, uh, u- utilize some of the plans that we've already had uh, in preparation for these particular incidences. So um, as far as uh, the, the, what do you call it, the bang grenade, the, mm-hmm. those, those type things will be used to, to uh, you know, assist in an entry to rescue somebody. Or to even take somebody alive, because if we can disorient them with that, 
We don't have to necessarily uh, shoot them as we enter. We can disorient them. That's the whole right. purpose. That's the whole goal is to solve crime without taking life. I believe that's what happened in this this um, situation. It was, you know, I think it went on for six to eight hours, and they finally got yeah. the guy to, you know, come out after that. And I think our issue in my looking back, um, you know, again, I'm a white guy. I'm married to a Mexican. So I get, you know, I get that you don't see my side all the time or you don't know how we feel. I, I hear that a lot. And I, so I try to see things from all sides as much as humanly possible, um, which is, you know, never can do that. But you try. Um, I think you know, it, that's a very important point you're bringing up yeah. there. And I hope I didn't interrupt you. No, go ahead. But I think it's very important because we have a very diverse community. Uh, Clark County is, is very diverse, made up of, uh, you know, Filipino, Chinese, uh, a- Asian people. It's made up of uh, Latino, uh, Mexican. It's made up of uh, um, Native American, black, white. I mean, there's a, it's a very diverse community. And these cultures are different. And it's not that Metro doesn't want to or be that their side. It's just, it's just different. It's, sometimes it's just foreign. And, and the goal of a police department is to make the police department up of its community, mm-hmm. to try to police department as the community and that's that's the goal and i think we've been you know we've been trying to do that it's you know it's not an easy task because some of these cultures it makes it they have different interests and so they're not necessarily focused on police work they're focused on their their culture the interests involved in their cultures and we try to involve everybody sometimes we're successful sometimes we're not but Yes, you're right. We don't always see your perspective or that 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 different culture perspective. It's a learning curve, and uh, I just see the police department continually focused in that area. And I know under if I if I'm elected sheriff, it will be my focus as well. Um, we want to include everybody because we serve everybody. Yeah, and if you're going all the way up to you know your territory is part of Mesquite and all that, I mean it's gonna that's a different world than it is you know here in Vegas. It's a you know, I'm from a small town in North Carolina. Again, so you know, it's different. It's it's you you might only be an hour or two apart ge- uh, geographically, but mindset, lifestyle, things are just very different. Um, a lot of people here are transplants. I myself am a, I'm a transplant. Um, there are people that have lived here forever, but I think that's fewer and far. Even in San Diego, that's fewer and farther between. Most people are transplants nowadays, especially in the kind of younger millennial you know, uh, people that are kind of coming up into their careers. And I think that's something that's just unique about society nowadays. Um, Going back to like what I was talking about, about that situation of that apartment. um, I think part of that issue was the younger generation almost doesn't really know how to communicate with police anymore. Um, I have no problem going up and saying, hey, like I said, hey, do you at the parade? You know, I would say, hey, do you had a uniform on? Um, we used to have police come to our school before prom and school dances and put the drunk driver goggles on and get you to try to walk a line on the baseball field and laugh and giggle and kind of make it fun and not off-putting because it's somebody with a badge. Um, but I understand that everybody doesn't have that same um, relationship. But um, again, going back to that situation, it, I think it was the issue that nobody really understood what was happening. And it was, you know, kind of like this army coming into this apartment condo building and nobody was there from the apartment to tell people what was going on. And there was just all these people in the halls with giant guns telling people to yell and yelling at people to stay in their rooms. It was just very chaotic. And it almost seemed like there should have been some kind of message given out or something. But I know you you can only do what you can do at the, at the time. And you're trying to 
keep everybody safe in that instance, maybe you're not worried about everybody's feelings and how they're going to feel later on. But I don't know. I just feel like there could be a better way to deal with those situations. You know what I mean? When there's so many people being affected by maybe one person's illegal activity. Well, um, one of my two focuses, my main focuses, I, I have two primary focuses I like to uh, communicate when I'm campaigning. One is that I like to break down the walls between the police and the community. We need to uh, become more approachable. We, and, you know, you're dealing with 5,000 uh, employees with Metro. That's a lot of people. And consequently, we have all different personalities. So some, some like people more than others. Some like, uh, you know, interrelating more than others. Um, even those that are not necessarily um, gregarious, they still make good police officers. They may not uh, have the communication skills that others would have. The goal is to try to make the police department approachable so that when somebody comes up to them, and, and, and even if they're not totally uh, socially adept themselves, and maybe they say something clumsy, our, our response should be compassionately uh, um, to address their concerns, to address their curiosity even. People are just curious, curious about police. Oh, definitely, yeah. So, yeah, I loved it when I'm, I go to eat in a restaurant or something. I'm sitting down with a, a buddy, you know, for an hour break, and then somebody comes up and talks to me. <laughs> Excuse me. I have no problem. I love to communicate. That's my nature. Some people are a little more private, but it, it would be nice if we could train the police department to be respectful and to be considerate to the public when they do come up to them because the uniform tends to keep us separate, tend, tends to divide us. Make us make us feel we're militaristic and should not be approached. And I, that's the only thing I don't like about the uniform. I mm -hmm. love the uniform and I despise us as a, somebody you can feel safe around. But uh, it also separates us because of you know the militaristic appearance of it. So it, it's just one of those things. Um, if we can just train our officers to be a little bit more understanding, a little more compassionate of people that come up to them, um, even if they're in the middle of something, just dealing with people in a very humanistic public way and as far as armed responses and stuff like that sometimes we need to be authoritative in those situations when something is happening it's an emergency situation we haven't got time to explain ourselves we need to do the job get right it done, mm -hmm. get be, be safe you know save lives save whoever there we're there to save and also protect our own lives so sometimes we don't have the ability to be humanistic and uh, compassion we need to be authoritative and and I would hope that that's where the public can be trained a little bit to understand that sometimes there's a job to be done, it has to be done, and then afterwards, that's where executive staff comes in, and we need to communicate to the to the community exactly what took place. Right. And this I think is why that's what's did. lacking right now a little bit, and I I think that like what you said, I think police have almost become seen as the small little militaries within cities and not seen as just that friendly police that would come to the school and give the kids, you know, uh, the dare talk or the Smokey Bear talk or the CPR talk or, and just hang out and eat lunch. And um, if, if, if I go up and say hey to a cop at an event or something, I feel like other people around me look at me like, why are you doing that? <laughs> it's like, it's, why not? You know, what, what, that they're technically work for the city, work for you and your tax dollars, and you shouldn't be afraid to say hey and how you doing um but I, I like where you're going with about some explanations and the news nowadays used to do that for you but people don't watch the six o'clock news anymore every day and find out what just happened in their 
weird apartment building. Um, so it's this it's just kind of need to get on top of a story, I feel like, before people can make up stuff in their head. Because for days and weeks after that, there was all these stories about what happened and what didn't happen. And who knows what the real story was? I don't even know. So it just kind of a lot of people looked at that situation as a, uh, I think, an overreach or too much for just trying to get a guy out of an apartment. But we don't know the whole story. For all we know, he could have been a serial killer. I don't know. But yeah. that's a great. I, li- I like your answer. Um, that kind of brings me to a clip I had right here of you. If I could play this real quick, if you don't mind. Police state. Whereas I believe here in America we have the opposite view. We want our neighbors to be our police. I hear some officers that say, "I don't want to work my neighborhoods." I worked my neighborhood my entire career. My entire career. I liked my neighbor. I liked my neighbors knowing I was a police officer. Right. They would come over when they had issues, and and I could just verbally discuss stuff with them. You know, I wasn't. You know, I, I don't want to be a police officer when I'm off duty. I would right. like to get but the police there on I duty. I love that because that's right. a, basically you know, exactly kind of what we were just talking about. And, you know, going out into the community, shaking some hands. Hey, I'm your local cop. Come tell me about what's going on. Ask me a question. I think we do need more of that. And um, I love how you're trying to bring that approach to the Las Vegas Metropolitan Police Department. You know, um, that, that takes place. You know, with 5,000 police officers, you're going to have, like I said, different different personalities. But there are police officers that, I mean, I see them every day. They stop and help motorists that are stranded. They even reach into their own pocket to help people that are down and out. I mean, mm-hmm. it's every day, but you don't hear about it. That's where we need a media that's yeah, that will uh, broadcast that. What we get from the media is this cop did that bad, and they try to sell papers through the through the conflict. But uh there are many instances, I, 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 I bet you, where you can talk to your citizenry that, that listen to you, your listeners, and they'll tell you, you know, yeah, I got a ticket, and uh, that I said I got a ticket, yeah, and it was a negative contact for them. But then there's others that every day come across an officer that, that helped them with another situation, a police officer that responded to a call, and they, they went above and beyond, you know, what their normal duty would have just asked of them, and they – they come out, like I said, they come out of pocket. Even on days off, they'll respond back in a group and, and help a, an elderly person with, with an issue of their house or something like that. So they're, they're, you'll, you'll get both sides. But, but generally speaking, uh, with 5,000 people, you're not going to get a consistency. There's going to be you know, a, a variable always, whether it's good or bad. Well, I think that this goes into a lot of the whole defund the police and all that kind of nonsense that was stirred up a while ago about it's not defund. It's maybe I wouldn't even say restructure. It's just structure, you know, come up with something that works. Um, Use whatever buzzword people feel comfortable with. But it's it's taking the money that's in a budget and making sure things like what you're saying get done, the the PR behind it. I mean, there's some PR that needs to happen, and maybe the PR shouldn't just always be, oh, now this mess up happened, let's fix it. You know, PR should be there to promote the positive and the good things that happen. You know, like when you see like a, a little kid, you know, gets picked on at the school at school, and the cop comes and walks him on the school bus the next day in front of all the bullies, and you know, sits with him on the bus and rides on the bus with the school the kid to school, you know, little things like that that go a long way of kind of making people feel more comfortable. And just like you said, having cops that are say, hey, what's up, man? How you doing today? You need help changing the tire Can help you do this. Um, I think that really does go a long way. Um, I got a few more little questions for you, if you don't mind. Sure. All right. We'll take it. 
a little 15 second break and we'll be right back okay how about giving me a little intro there jesse introducing well what do you think so far mr jesse we'll take a little break and we'll discuss the interviews so far this sounds good yeah i think he's uh seems like a pretty cool guy he had some good answers I don't see any crazy, you know, wackiness going on. I just, I think some people have taken some of this Trump rhetoric and some of this DeSantis and these people that have done these things that got some attention and they're using it to kind of stir the pot. And, and seriously, like three months ago, I might've sold my soul to Donald Trump if they would have lifted the mask mandate and I could go back to a bar again, you know? Oh, <laughs> and, and you would have been so single. How cute. <laughs> But so I, I get like a little bit of what's going on. So, um, but yeah, I mean, what do you think? He's he's a pretty cool guy, right? Such an interesting resume, flight attendant, pawn stars, went to San Diego State University. Yeah, I mean, he. I don't. It's not. It's never um, that a person's like political status, you know, is, is like is the red flag. It's some of the like the things that is it's stated that doesn't resonate all the time. You know what I mean? With, with someone like myself, you know what I mean? Like, I think like one of the things that was a flag for me was like, you know, as sheriff, I won't enforce mass mandates and like, you know, vaccines need to be, you know, don't cure uh, COVID. I mean, I, I feel like those type of things, when you say that, when you're running for sheriff, I think there's like the throwaways that, though. Like they don't really matter. Can, can I finish my point? Sure, yes, yes, yes. So my point is that, those those things aren't really political issues, and those aren't things that should be talked about when, right. you're, when you're running for sheriff. I think those, you know, like, for someone like myself who's had a grandma that's passed away from COVID, who's had, you know, friends that passed away from COVID, those type of things don't really resonate with me. I mean, because, mm-hmm. you know, minority communities that are mostly frontline workers face, you know, COVID in a, in a different way than most people. And I really so, tried to steer so, away from COVID. Though, no, you and, 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 like, and I think I I'm, I'm talking I'm, about, I'm, you, know, I'm, you know, you know what, what I've seen from like the commercials mm-hmm. and like the website and even like, you know, just like, just like flipping through, you know, the website and, and he, and, and, and take this, don't take this the wrong way. You know, he sounded amazingly nice in the interview. He sounds like a really great guy, but I mean like the, I, as as a Latino, I've I've heard this my whole life. You know, the whole immig- I'm going through his website. Immigration is good. Illegal immigration is not. Yeah, I mean, it's just like those whole scare tactics that are used. Like, unfortunately, our current sheriff has broken off key relations with ICE that has created some big problems called sanctuary cities for police. It's it's those type of like those type of co- those comments that that make the Latino community the the people that are committing the crimes, this is, this is the issue with Las Vegas where, you know, we're too pro immigrant. It's those things that don't resonate with myself and a lot of the Latino community. So, I mean, you can be the nicest person, but you are also deciding to use verbiage on your campaign site that literally is putting immigration communities at risk. I mean, and, and, and these are some of the hardest working people that were working during the pandemic, making sure that, you know, we, we had food when we were going to Walmart to, to fill up our, you know, get our food and our groceries. And, mm-hmm. You know, I mean, these are people, you know, picking our, our, our groceries, I, I mean, picking uh, food in the fields. I mean, so these are the type of, like, things I've seen, like, my whole life, you know, like, working in politics is that it's always these red flags that I see, like, every single campaign kind of tries to run with. And if you're really wanting to bring the community together, it's these type of things that you would leave off your campaign campaign page and really kind of focus on you know it 
we're a diverse community. This is how we're going to come together after everything that's gone, you know, these last few years, it's been crazy. It's been a super crazy time, but this is what I'm going to do as sheriff. I'm going to protect and serve the community as, you know, as a sheriff of, of Las Vegas, but this is, how I'm also going to immigrate. Uh, this is, how I'm also going to integrate the immigrant community. So they're included into the process of, of this great country. You know what I mean, and, and I think that's what you know, it really doesn't resonate all the time. And I see it, where you're going. Kind of, and it kind of just goes over my head. And when I, those are kind of like just red flags I see. Uh, my, but, my initial email to him, just because I don't even ever even showed it to you, but I sent this out to a couple people. Um, I specifically had a message to him because I saw him at the Chinese um, New Year parade. But um, the, the email was, as we inch closer to a new normal, the election is, is looming nearer day by day. After today's For Your Face celebration, the public needs to know more about you. What do you really stand for when normality is restored? Because that's what I'm trying to get at is when all this crap goes away and Trump has, you know, maybe let off in handcuffs somewhere or, you know, whatever, and people forget about masks and forget about all this nonsense, what do you really stand for when it's a normal world? Because I think that's what really matters most to to most people. And I'm finding I think that's what matters most to me. Because nobody's ever going to be able to say, yes, wearing masks for that long was the best thing to do. It was right. It saved this many million people. It's not going to happen. Um, I think on the other side, what we're going to see is I've already seen doctors say, like, why are we have these masks on these kids still? They're not doing anything. If it has to be the high quality ones, putting a piece of cloth over your face isn't doing anything. So I think that by forcing something that wasn't working down people's throats, just kind of hurt a certain side of the political system and but that's, but that scared the, some that's people. That's the thing, though. It's I think it scared some a, people. It's too. not a political issue. It was turned into a political issue. Yeah, but public, it is. Though. It health, is a political. The issue. public health is not a political issue. But it become when when that many it was people into a political issue. well when that many people are involved and it's an entire state I mean, when, that when, or a country okay, that's me, involved in something it has to when, be political when when we when we talk about like the police department and these institutions that they need to be respected they need to be trusted when things are going wrong when there's a you know there's something going on in the building they need to act they need to do what's in, what's you know best for the situation. And that's exactly what we have with the CDC and all of these these institutions that were created to deal with pandemics and public health crises. It's it's not a political issue. It was turned into a political issue. And 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 yes, you know, the governor is responsible for, you know, releasing these these suggested ideas from the CDC. Mm-hmm. But it is coming from the CDC. And these are the institutions. If you're saying to trust the police department as an institution, you need to also trust the CDC and the public health system as an institution well, that, that is that is in place. Trust to, is eroded, but, but I'm yeah. So much trust is on also, everything. But trust is also eroded in the sheriff's department. Doesn't mean you. Well, give I think up, in general, but it doesn't also. But doesn't mean you give up on the institution. You That's try true. and correct it, and you and you you realize that look, we are dealing with a situation we've never experienced before. How do we auto correct it? You don't throw a bomb and get rid of you know the police department. You don't throw a bomb and get rid of CDC and institutions. You have to reflect back and see how we could have done it better. 
But right. in the meantime, you still need to trust in these institutions because, you know, these are American institutions. They're taxpayer dollars going into these institutions to protect American lives. And we just I, I know we're all upset. No one wants to wear a mask. No one wants to get a vaccine. But these are the things we, we do to take care of ourselves as Americans. And I did it. I wore a mask. I got vaccinated for my mm-hmm. neighbor across the street. Boosted. As, yeah. But I mean, I did it for the better of my community because that's that's what it was asked of me as an yes. American. That's what my president asked me as an American. And that's what I did. Yeah, I mean, did I like it? No, of no. course not. Who I mean, I didn't want, care about the vaccine. That? But that's but that's my thing. It, it is, no. It's that that's where the turnaway is. It's not a it's not a political issue. And you know, when you, when you, we talk about you know this position as being nonpartisan, you know, you're not you're not circling a box for a Republican or a Democrat. But when you look into a website and you know, I see that illegal, illegal immigrants are being released into our community using resources and not paying taxes. I mean. What, that's that's a political statement, yeah. I mean, and then and that comes from a certain you know side of the of, of the spectrum, which is you know Republican side, and it's the same thing that has done, been done a long time. You're you're trying to criminalize immigrant communities, and for for the most part, that is people that look like me, you know, people that you know have, have parents that have come from Latin America, Mexico, wherever it is. So these these type of you know statements within someone's campaign page is a, is a complete red flag for me. And, and, and you could be the nicest person and I have no problem with the person, but it's the, what you put in front of people is, is an indication of how you plan to move forward. I'm going to say a statement that is probably true. And if you look at some kind of average, but I don't know this, it almost seems like if you're on the red side, it's lock them all up and send them back to Mexico. If you're on I mean, the blue side, it's free them all, give them free education and a free job and a you know a free bag of a free bag of tacos from Taco Bell. And I don't think that either one of those is the right answer. But 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 but, I, but, but what it, what it, what we've become is so polarized that we can't think about how we could work together. You just have to be like, oh, I'm going to be all the way on this side because I really think, and this is sad, I really think the public has become so dumbed down that they don't really understand how things work, that these, that these politicians can be trying to say all this stuff, but if they don't keep it su- see, uh, they don't keep it super, super simple. <laughs> I couldn't even say it myself. It's a lot of C's. If they couldn't keep it super, super simple, that people can't get it. And digest it. So when you start talking about like stuff that gets too intricate for people, but might actually be better in the long run for all involved, it's not an it's easy of a sell because you gotta you know get through all the mumbo jumbo. You know, you're like in mumbo jumbo to like for people to understand it. And it's easier just to say, you know, I'm not gonna do this, or I'm, I'm I would never I would never do this, or these blanket statements that you really. Probably never even have a chance to enforce and aren't really that enforceable anyway, um, you know. But they sound good and they look good on an, in an ad and they get people riled up. But how long is that riled upness gonna last? Like I think as we start to get more back to normal, I've already calmed down. This week I've just been like so much more relaxed. <laughs> I'm like, okay, things are getting back more to normal. But what's going to happen, I'm afraid, is everybody's going to start coming out pointing fingers at, like today on CNN, some doctor was there talking about, like, 
this whole masking thing it went on way too long because we didn't even have the right mask, but it was like we were just doing it just to be doing it. And if they're saying that on CNN, my God, what else are they saying on other places? And I think there's going to be a lot of finger pointing and you were wrong, you were wrong. But my hope is that people can just be thankful, thankful that we're to a place where we can be back to normal again and maybe get through the summer without going to war with, you know, another country. Well, I mean, and, and that's kind of what I was saying is, you know, we, we make these suggestions and not, I mean, and by we, I'm, I'm saying the medical community, you can make these suggestions and, and just because you think it's, it's the best course of action doesn't always mean it really is when, when you're looking in retrospect, but it's better to be safer than sorry. You know what I mean? We, we're, we're talking about a, I mean, we're going back to a pandemic where we've almost lost a million people here in, United States, and you're telling me that, you know, I mean, people who are, are doing a small thing of wearing a mask and getting vaccinated to protect their neighbors, protect their moms, protect their grandmas is is a wrong thing. I, I just don't see it that way. No, I mean, like, I, I think the problem is when you start to take away people's choice and you, start, and you start telling people they have to do something and it's something new, people don't want to do it. And it gives people fuel for the fire. Um on both sides, but um, I like that discussion. That was great. You want to finish the interview? Yeah, let's go. Let's All right. Go. Let's get back. Let's get back to the interview with Stan Hype. He is uh, the um, he is running for sheriff here in Las Vegas. He already told us all about how the police department works. I had no idea that the sheriff and the police were kind of like the same thing. Did you know yeah, that? No, he gave some really good insight. That was great. Yeah, I, that was I liked a lot of his answers. I just, yeah, I mean, I just feel strongly about a few, few different things. You know, maybe, I mean? maybe, maybe his uh, message will be edited as we come into more of a normal culture here, and he, you know, gets to talk to more people like you and like me out in the real world. And uh, you know, maybe we could help open him his eyes a little bit to some of that. You know, yeah, you can I mean, only you, hope that's what this is all use, about. Uh, some diversity on his campaign to kind of, you know, I think, I think um, a lot of people are willing to to be more open about hearing it's not it's not you know life experience it's it's perspective it's i i think you were referencing how like when you were a kid you you know you know engage with police officers mm -hmm. and like had these my neighbor was this... a, the, the drug guy he was yeah, the he, undercover drug guy yeah, he had so... a german shepherd he spoke to in german and you know talked about like drugs the yeah. bus that he so, would go so, on so, to my so dad they, when they were out mowing the grass and shit and which is great in which every single you know american should should have when you're when you're dealing with law enforcement but um, but my point is is that you know growing up you know i that wasn't my my i get that i get it police. you know my brother but not was, knowing you was, i wouldn't probably understand my brother that was much. 10 years old and you know a police officer accused him of stealing and had him against a police car I mean, it's just the treatment mm -hmm. of, of a young kid, you know, and that's my first interaction with, with police officers. It's just not a healthy one. Not positive. And, and you know, and, and it's always been like more of an intimidation and it's, and, you know, seeing what's happened to people that look like me in the community, you, you become scared of these institutions and, and yeah, should, should we be trying to engage more? Absolutely. Everybody wants that. But um, what we're trying to say is that that's not the experience we, we've had with police officers. You know I mean, and growing up in Hickory, North Carolina, mm -hmm. as a young white kid who's, you know, whose family's been there for a generation who are, you know, into the community your life experiences with dealing with police officers may be drastically different than someone like well, myself. I can't say I was perfect 
perfect, definitely up into my young adulthood and never had any run-ins with the police. But I always knew that they weren't going to do anything. You know what I mean? Like, that's what I mean. I always knew that they couldn't, like, they were going to shoot me or strangle me or, you know, kill me or to put me in the back of a van and drive it around so rough that it would toss me around and break my neck. I, I didn't even think that things like that could happen. Yeah. I thought I would get in a car, go to a phone, call my daddy, and then somebody would come up and start wave, wagging their finger at a cop and be like, why'd you pick up my kid? Well, I mean, <laughs> but I know that as I grew, grew up now, I know that that's an sense of entitlement that I have from my upbringing and it's not what everybody gets. And it's not, it's not the it's not the message everybody has from police. It's just not. I have cousins that are white and would say you know they're terrified of police and they're but they have you know more come from more of a criminal background in an area that has a lot of high crime. So their their uh, view is even different than mine, being you know the same race. Yeah, but but it's not always you know based on economics. No, and it's and it's like everything. That. That's what I'm saying. It's it's such a mixed bag. It's there's not a huge there's not there's not a there's not a right or wrong answer that's gonna solve everything right away. You know, I think that's kind of what we got to in this interview. Is you know, it's a lot of a lot of little pieces that could all be done a little bit better to make the entire unit better as a whole. All right, ready? Let's go. All right, well, we got Stan Height on. He's talking to us all about what it takes to be sheriff here in Las Vegas. Understand a lot more about the police department here in Clark County as well. Um, I want to talk to him about a few more little things that I had. And um, I know this is a sensitive topic, not for you, but for a lot of people. And it's kind of a hidden topic. Um, the homeless situation here in um, Clark County, Las Vegas, more, I guess you would say. Um, and I'm, I might pivot it more of Las Vegas homeless to maybe Las Vegas drug issues, Las Vegas crime, because I kind of think they're all kind of tied together. But um, we do have a, a homeless issue here where the people kind of have encampments underneath the ground and um, in the water, the water um, systems where the water gets taken away to you know, um, not have flooding, it creates kind of communities there. Um, do you have any kind of outreach plan that the police does for those people? Or is it kind of just you, is it better to let them stay where they are and create a community there instead of bringing it out to here? What do you think about that? Well, this is driven by two factors, Ryan. One is, uh, addiction, whether it's alcohol or drugs, and two, it's uh, mental illness. Basically, it's it's a very tough problem. We've had countless sheriffs in the past, and we still have homeless. So it's not something that a, a police department itself can solve. It's, it's a community, uh, it's a community-oriented uh, problem, and it has to involve everybody in the community. It has to involve business, has to involve mayors, legislation, uh, uh, the judicial system, as well as the police department. So it's it's very involved. When I get in, I'm going to have to partnership with these different leaders. We're going to have to brainstorm it. Um, it is a concern. It, it's, a, it's a concern to the entire community because 
you know, every time I, I go somewhere and speak, that's one of the main questions we get is what are we going to do with the homeless? What, how are we going to solve this? I don't see us solving it, unfortunately. I, I know that's a weak answer. But uh, brainstorming it with community leaders and trying to come up with solutions because they can't just disappear. And, oh, of course. People have dealing, to live somewhere. Dealing, that's the problem. And, yeah, yeah. And, and, um, and when you're dealing with mental illness, you can you can try to reason with them. Like they have some of these people have families that want them to come home, but mm-hmm. they don't. They don't. They they prefer to live out on the street, and and that's a, that's a difficult uh, scenario to to reason with. So I'm, I have some family members myself that are in situations similar. Um, I had a cousin who was addicted to heroin. Tried to bring him out here for like two weeks to got him clean, and then he went back, and about two weeks later, overdosed on heroin or who knows what it was, fentanyl. Who knows, you know, but his dad was in prison, um, like his third strike for killing someone in a drug deal. His mom used to steal stuff from Walmart and shoplift and all kinds of stuff. So he he never really had a fair shake, I don't think, in my opinion. Um, but he also didn't have anybody really try to work with him on the back end. Is there is there any kind of thing that the sheriff, sheriff department could do for younger people that possibly could enter into that kind of situation or is there anything where the sheriff department with such a large department is there is there ways that they can coordinate with schools or social services in some way to identify kids or youth that could go down a wrong path but also could be drawn out of it i feel feel like there's got to be some way to help pick out people that that have some kind of potential that are just giving a shitty situation well, yes. I mean, there are social services, and Metro does try to work with them. It's just not a uh, cure-all. That's all. It's just oh, yeah. a band-aid. It's a band-aid, and uh, we're continuing to research. But like I said, it's a community-wide thing. It's not just the police. The police, oh, yeah, the actual sure. the detention center, which is under the sheriff, is actually considered the largest resource center for the homeless. I mean, basically, there's, there's a tremendous amount of homeless that uh, reside in the detention center. Oh, yeah. That's not what the center was designed for and it's vegas a, has tried to center. build um encampments lately with bathrooms and showers and things like that uh, i think a new one just opened up in north las vegas recently so i know there are things that are, i know there are things that are being done to to help definitely um i just wonder you know they have like rotc in high school i wonder if it could be like some kind of a police club where you know the kids do a police club and there's kids come to the we used to have a a resource officer in my school that was kind of like the stop fights and things like that but he really just kind of went around and patted you on the head carried girls books sometimes helped coach basketball just kind of there to hang out and um i just don't know if we have that anymore i I just don't know if we have that kind of sense of community within the schools because everybody's so afraid to get in trouble or you can't even hug a kid anymore supposedly without you know somebody saying you're you know sexually harassing somebody so it's just it's it's this handoff handoff approach that we almost have forced ourselves into but now everybody wants the police to come in and do all this stuff but everybody said how scared they are of the police for so long lately it's, it's kind of a mixed message and it's almost giving you guys this bag half full or half empty depending on how people want to look at it and can always kind of just you know <laughs> give you guys the um you know it's you guys' fault all the time and that's just not fair well we do have a cadet program kind of like your rotc where we uh mentor young people to come into police work 
um, through the cadet program, uh, I think it begins at age 18, uh, you, you, you actually work, take reports with the police department, and then at 21, you walk right into an academy. Okay. So that's a great right. program for for young people. Yes, we've got to be uh, doing more things for kids to be able to have a career more instead of, you know, go to high school for four years, then come out and go to college. There's got to be, I feel like there needs to be better ways to get people active in things like policing and maybe they can start something younger. I mean, I don't see why you can't, not you, but in general, things like that can't start at a younger age, you know, 15, 14, you get a license at 16. Um, kids can go, you can go learn to fly a plane when you're 14 years old. Um, I just think we're, we're wasting time and you're, we're letting people and kids not not be able to make their own opinion up about police and law enforcement because they just take whatever they hear from either their parents or from school or from social media and not be able to kind of develop their own opinion like I was. I was able to develop my own opinion about how, and I'm not, like, again, like I said, I'm not, like, afraid of police. I never have been, but I know so many people who are. Okay, well, we do have their programs, which uh, mentor in the schools. Nice. Like I said, we have that program we we have uh various outreaches uh, but the thing is uh, the kids have to have an interest in this particular sure. area oh yeah <laughs> so please work they will uh they will join our programs and if uh if it's flying airplanes they'll go learn how to fly airplanes so at the early age people are still you know exploring and learning things i mean you could be a police officer at 21 years of age and that's pretty young oh yeah that's pretty there's not a lot of life experiences before 21, and at that point you're you're carrying a gun and you're making life uh, deciding decisions. And you know, so I don't know if we want people to get in police work too young, but we do want them focused on it young so that they can get an education in it. They can get you know they can prepare themselves, and uh, when they come in, they've got all the tools. That's our goal to. I just think it People needs to be seen more as a career. Um, I, I just from my own experience growing up, I feel like police was seen as kind of like a backup thing, or a, that's something you go into if you're you were in the military, if your family was in it. Um, that it's it almost seems like in my head that it, even somebody that you know, got perfectly fine with police, but it wasn't something that was open to me. That was somehow like closed off to me in my brain. That it's for other people, not for me. Which which might be might be true. I might not. I probably shouldn't be carrying a gun, you know. <laughs> well, with me, it was uh, exactly what you just said there. Uh, my mom was born in Athens, Greece, and okay. uh, she was. Uh, she came here, became a citizen, had me, and uh, my dad and and her divorced. So I was raised as a single parent kid with, you know, not born here, and I had no people, no prior history of anybody being in police work. I had no prior history of anybody going through college in my ancestral line. I grew up and just, I, I adored police. I mean, I, I looked at police as a, as a respectful position, one of authority, but yet one of respect. And that's right. the way I looked at police. The police told me to do something. Yes, sir. Mm -hmm. So I grew up uh, designed, you know, aiming for that. It was just something I liked. I don't have any brothers. I don't have any sisters to follow their lead. I don't have anybody that I even knew in police work, but I just, it was just a personal choice. And as I grew up, I, I went into college and obtained a Bachelor of Science degree in Criminal Justice Administration because that was my goal. I wanted to be a police officer. 
I even went into the master's program. In the process of uh, obtaining my master's, when Las Vegas Metropolitan Police Department hired me, and so boom, I just I moved from San Diego to Las Vegas and went to work. So yeah, and, that's right. It looks like you started in 1978. So that's that that was a long career. Um, and then since then, thirty years. Thirty years. Yeah, I wow. 30. I mean, because that's what it is. So it's a thirty years, and then you retire, right? And then you can. Um, I know I saw something that you you did uh, prisoner transport by helicopter. That's super fascinating. So once you retired, it allowed you to go and do some things like that that you're more interested in that also are in criminal the criminal justice atmosphere. Those are two different things. Uh, I learned helicopters, and my goal was to oh, so you can actually fly the helicopters yourself. Yeah. I'm, oh wow! I'm, so that's great. That's amazing. Okay. I'm a helicopter pilot. Okay. Uh, commercial and instrument rated. But um, the the transport job was working for the federal government after I retired. That was transporting federal prisoners from different states. Uh, the outsourced company was called JPATS, uh, Justice Prisoner um, Alien Transport System, basically. So we uh, we just transported, we searched prisoners, put them on the plane, and transported them to different states, picked up other prisoners, transported them to different states, and then came home on the same day. That was a retirement wow. job. That's amazing. So, I, that's almost like a U.S. marshal kind of in the air. That's that's really cool. We worked. We worked with the marshal. Oh, marshal nice. For our yeah. That's... So, and that was another fun job. I enjoyed that. It was a, like I said, that's a retirement job. I could I could pick and choose my days. It was really it was a perfect job. Met a lot of great people. And uh, but but that's different than flying. The helicopters uh, was something I did in hopes of uh, flying tours and stuff like that. Because I just like I told you earlier, I love to fly. Yeah. See. Flying is such a, like um, you said, Athens. Actually, I've been to Greece a couple of times. Like, I, I miss traveling so much. I can't wait to get back on a plane and go to, you know, go somewhere again um, once all this nonsense is over. <laughs> one of these days. One of these days. One of these days we'll be back to normal around here. <laughs> well, um, do you mind if I ask you a couple little fun fun questions just to close Absolutely. it out? Go ahead. All right. Let's see what we got. So. As a Las Vegas resident, but also someone that's in law enforcement, you got to have some fun every now and then. What do you do here in Vegas um, when you're just looking to go do something interesting on a weekend, or are you more of a going for a hike kind of guy? I like hiking, but uh, I have a boat, a little 18-foot uh, boat. I love to water ski behind. Nice. I have a couple of jet skis. I, I love the lake. I just love the outdoors. So I go jet skiing with my family. I go boating. I love to water ski. Um, I, I, I like to work out at the gym. I go to the Las Vegas Athletic Club gym, and I work out. Which and, one do you uh, go to? I'm surprised I've never seen you there. <laughs> I go to the one at uh, um, Lake Mead and Rainbow. There's okay. seven of them. Gotcha. Yeah, I yeah, usually go to the Decatur one because that's the closest one in my house. Unless I'm out hopping around, I try to I try to hit that Henderson one every now and then because it's just so nice. <laughs> the Decatur one. Which Decatur one? There's two. There's the um, uh, one at... the two fifteen indicator. Okay, that's in the north, yeah. So yep. I've been to that one. I've played some racquetball there. That's an, one of my passions is racquetball. Um, I really enjoyed that. I played that all through my – since college. I, I played it. I got some knee, knee problems now, so I don't play it um, as much. But it's something I played a lot. We have what we call police Olympics, and I was always in the police Olympics in racquetball every year. I played a lot of softball. Oh, nice. I'll have so, to look in there next time. I always pop in there and look. I always look to see who's playing. So I used to actually play that with my dad as well. My, me and my dad, that was our, one of our activities. We'd play racquetball together at the YMCA. <laughs> yep, yep. Loved racquetball. And, you know, one of my real passions is baseball. I played it in college, 
and uh, Mithril has formed their own baseball team in, a, in an adult league throughout the city, and we also traveled to New York, to Arizona, different places. And oh, wow. I, I played actually baseball, hardball baseball, and I played that till I was almost 50. So love sports. That's that's basically what gets me through the day of sports. Nice. Well, that's great, man. I appreciate you so much for joining us today. Um, I've learned so much about you and what you have going on, and I'm glad we talked because I told I told some people that I was interviewing you, and you know they gave me a little bit of crap, and I was like, why? Just because he has his views, I have my views too, and believe me, the things you're saying and the things you were saying on in the commercial are things that other people were saying and have been saying for a while too about the you know how we've been just we were stuck for so long and nonsense and clearer heads and more common sense needs to prevail at some point and bring us back to reality in some form of normality as, as, as much as we can. And I, um, I love everything that you've said and I've really enjoyed it and good luck all the, all the round. And I'm sure I'll be seeing you again soon. Thank you, Brian. Can I give a one minute uh, as to why I'm running for sheriff? Of course. Okay. Well, basically um, I, I feel like our, our, constitutional freedoms and our liberties have come under attack recently. I, I, I believe there are people in our government that uh, feel that they can run our lives rather than um, protect us. Our government's designed to protect us, not run our lives. And I've gotten scared over since the last election that basically our government is trying to take over. And as sheriff, I have ultimate authority in that, re- that regard. In other words, I don't have to listen to the federal government or the governor who may impose their own will upon our community. As sheriff, represent the the we the people, buddy, uh, in the community, not just special interests. And so I'm standing up for our constitutional rights. I want to make sure that nobody attacks our freedoms and tries to close our churches. Under my administration, we'll never allow the police to close our church or our businesses that they call non-essential. I'll never let them come for our guns. So that's basically why I'm running. I have the experience. I have the education. And I also have the common sense and will to want to stand up for the the small guy, the the average guy that really cannot say, I don't want to get a vaccine. You know, if you want to get a vaccine, absolutely get it. But if you don't want it, I want to protect that guy uh, in free, for his freedom of choice. And, and that's why I'm running for uh, sheriff. And I, I hope that if you like my message, you will vote for me. And I, I thank you very much for allowing me to participate in your show, Ryan. Oh, I appreciate you being on. And again, um, I think so many people probably don't even maybe know that they relate to what you're saying in so many ways because I've been on a roller coaster myself of kind of emotion over the past year of wanting things to, wanting people to be healthy and wanting people to not be sick and wanting to keep myself safe, but also wanting to have a job and live my life and go to a grocery store without this weird, like now I go up to a 7-Eleven and I have this weird PTSD that, oh, wait, my fist, we have wearing a mask. I'm like, oh, wait, no, it's been six days and we don't have to have a mask anymore. It's like, it's just, it is a little crazy. I, I, and, and the country that we live in, we cannot force people to take vaccines. And I don't, I, I'm not even sure why that was ever something that was put out on the table like it could ever really actually happen. Because that's just not what we. This is not what we do here, and um, I think that that the the forcing, the trying to force things upon people, just made people more angrier and angrier. Um, but hopefully we're coming out of it. We'll see. 
Yeah. Yep. I, I agree with you. We need that. We need our freedom of choice. Now, this is a situation like the first 30 days when we didn't know what it was. Absolutely agree with, uh, hey, let's uh, get the science behind us. No, for sure. The science that it's not a vaccine. They, it is something else. It's not a vaccine because it doesn't stop the transmission, doesn't stop you from getting it. And uh, it's in a trial phase, not even, uh, not even, it's an experiment. Let's put it that way. Oh, so, yeah. I mean, people forget people that be, when you go to a doctor, we, it's usually it, called a practice. I mean, they're, they're, nothing that they're telling you is certain, usually. It's just what they think at that given time based on these specific set of evidence that they have. And that can change. And, you know, by telling people to do all these kind of silly things and then not really enforcing them on the back end, I think it led really to just a whole group of people now that don't feel like they have to really do anything or they don't have to follow any rules because nothing's ever really enforced. You see what I'm saying? Well, I'm, I'm glad that we, we can enforce um, experimental, back, uh, experimental shots, experimental trials on people. I'm glad oh, yeah. we can't do that. That's not what we do That's here. The, no, no, no. Yeah. I mean, and people, you know, look at other countries that have they maybe got out of this a little bit faster. Um, but really, even if they did, they seemed like they got right back into it at some point. So it's kind of it, it, this is a good learning experiment to see if anything we actually did really helped, or if it was all kind of a lot of making people angry and a lot of preventing people from being able to live their American dream, and really not serving much of a community purpose from it at all. Well, you're right. It was an experiment. It was an agenda-driven experiment. and uh, Definitely an experiment. Businesses went under because of it. And, oh, yeah. And people I, even died from the experiment, not from the COVID, but from the experiment. And so that's, that's where I rose up in anger and decided I'm going to run for sheriff because I don't believe in experimenting on people. All right. Well, I like it. I appreciate it so much. Well, again, thanks for joining. And um, if, you, if you see me at the gym or any of the next parades, give me a wave. Come over and say hey. You got it. And same to you, Brian. All right. You have a great day. Again, thanks so much for joining. Again, this is Stan. All right, Mr. Jesse. What do you think about that? It's interesting. It, we, did, we did start to get a little bit more into, um, at the very end, we did start to get, got a little bit more COVID-y. And, and, um, but I, I, thought I, I thought I did a good job of trying to, keep to the meat of topics and not go down some kind of, you know, QAnon nonsense kind of rabbit hole. I'm not quite sure where he was going at the end, but I, get, I think what he was trying to just come across with was that it, it was an experiment and getting a vaccine that's really not proven in certain ways that other vaccines are. It's, people are seeing it as an experiment, but, but, the, but, 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 People are choosing to see it as an experiment yeah, because they choose, want but to. That's, not that's true. what I'm saying. But it, so it's like that's false. But what, what people would say is, oh, so the CDC they say it's um, they say it's uh, after three years. Okay, it's uh, it means a proven vaccine. Oh, I'm not going to trust that. It has to be 12 years because somebody else said this because we don't trust the CDC. So it, that's kind of what I mean by not really trusting anything. You don't know who you can trust. So people just. Are gonna do what they want. I think. I really think people are just gonna kind of do it, what they it's please. It's a false narrative, though. Like the this experiment that has hurt people. That's not. That's not true. Who's 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 died from? The well, vaccine? I think it was. I think that's he not, meant that's not more. Fact. I don't think he was meaning the vaccine. I think he meant more the experiment of 
everything as a whole and people no, what, have what been hurt what, and things what like that. people was the, was the virus. Well, that is true, of course. And, I mean, I, you know the, me, Jesse. I'm not one of these crazy I'm sciencey con- deniers. I'm concerned about you. What, but what I'm saying is I get people's different viewpoints and the, it did go on way too long and we were doing things that it's already come out and been proven that we were doing things and still are doing things that aren't really helping. And that, I think, is just hurting the country and communities as a whole and turning people against each other for a silly piece of cloth to wear on their face. And it's just not worth it anymore. So let's just move on, right? Let's just move right along, people. (laughs) And just to be clear, I completely disagree with everything you said. Uh, That's fine. That's why we can disagree. That's what the point is. You get to have your opinion. I get to have mine. Yeah, but mine's based on facts, so sorry about that. Facts. In my face, sucker. In your face, sucker. All right, you want to wrap it up for the day? We'll talk about the Super Bowl for a little bit and then wrap it up. Absolutely. I'm ready to go. All right, let's wrap it up. If you stuck out for that whole show, this was an interesting one. I actually really enjoyed this. Um, did you enjoy that? It was it was kind of us just sitting back and listening. But um, because when I do these interviews, I mean, I'm doing the interview and I'm I'm thinking about the questions, but I'm not really always listening to the response as much as I can when I'm listening back because I'm clicking buttons over here and I'm changing levels. I just, and I just I'm, I'm see, reading his page. I and, just don't see how the sheriff position is nonpartisan when. Every part of the position seems to be completely partisan. Well, that's what I'm saying. Every aspect of Jesse, it is. You is, have to uh, nowadays. You're not going to resonate. That guy, the uh, Gilbert guy that's running for governor, I wouldn't even have noticed him at all if he didn't have a bus with his giant face on it and his fist going like this. Yeah, but I mean, but, I mean that's it's the like, kind of things that resonates with you. That doesn't resonate Well, with, no, I'm not saying me. it resonates with me as policy. But I do say it resonates with me in a marketing standpoint of I want to go to I want to see what he's got going on. I'm curious, but I'm not one of those people that just, you know, I'm not going to go check a box for somebody just because they had a bright, shiny bus. But there are people out there that will example Donald Trump, you know, and and they know that. So these people are running kind of on these hot button you know, issues that make people mad right now. But that's what I, like, there's another guy I reached out to. Um, everything on his website's like, I was endorsed by Ted Cruz. I'm endorsed by, like, I, I, I don't know how long that's going to hold up in a positive light. But we'll see. We shall see. <laughs> All right, you want to wrap it up or you want to have a last word? I'll let you have the last word, Mr. Sweetie, over there. We, we can wrap it up. Are you sure? Absolutely. Oh, God, okay. Jesse. He'll never say his real name on air, but listen for that accent. He's our Ivy League-educated Latinx political expert and way overqualified for this podcast. Way overqualified. All right, let's wrap it up for the day. We got to take Mr. Odie out. He is running all over the studio, driving me crazy pants. Sounds good. I don't think that's a good idea. Say you want some too? You better wrap it up. You better wrap that gavel up, B. All right, so the Super Bowl halftime show, I know you thought it was, like, really amazing. I thought it was kind of like, eh. I was like, 
I wanted a little bit more like theatricalness from it, like you know, like more like live music video. But it just seemed kind of like a I don't know, I don't know. It just seemed like a little festival to me. But I, I, I assume a lot of people liked it. I think to a certain group of people it was a uh, amazing, and then to a lot of other people, it was just kind of like eh, it was all right. But um, what, what we got a little? Is there any little clips we have from this? Do we have any clips at all from the Super Bowl? National Football League welcomes you to the Pepsi Super Bowl 56 halftime show. I just want to like see a little bit of it. So who was in it? Um, Snoop Dogg, Dr. Dre. One of the best, uh, one of the better Super Bowls I've uh, happened to have seen in a long time. I know you really loved it, right? You thought it was great. Yeah, it's absolutely amazing. I'm gonna think it was bad, but it's just I mean, not you, what you I. It's not what it. I expected. You don't listen to hip hop music, so you would have never liked. And it. And you know something else too? Something about it not being dark. It was daylight, so it made it look kind of weird. Like it wasn't. Usually it's dark, and there's all these lights and stuff. I think that might have been really what it was for me. Now that I'm watching it again, it just looks strange. It was during the day, or is it in the dome and it just looks like it's daylight? What's going on? I'm not quite sure. Anyway, whatever. <laughs> All right, let's wrap it up, Mr. Jesse. Sounds good. All right, so we're wrapping it up for the day. If you stuck it out again, appreciate it so much. We had a really interesting show today. And follow us on Spotify, Apple Music, Stitcher, Breaker, and also at DrWhoever.com. You can check out the video from this show, too, on Facebook at the Doctor Whoever like Facebook crazy, page. But then they know this right here is me. And then I give them the peace. I'm out. Bye-bye!